0: Good morning, Trinity. Your reputation as a missions-minded church and as a hospitable church has preceded you. And uh, I've tasted of some of that hospitality already. So I'm quite excited to be with you this morning. And I can tell you're a missions-minded church because there's no clock in the background to remind me uh, of when I need to stop. So what we'll do is we'll have Glenn throw something at me when he gets bored, okay? And if you're bored, you can convince Glenn to throw something. So as, as I've already been in, introduced, my name is Jake. I've been working in a country called Gold Kingdom. I'll be sharing it uh, a number of uh, your connection groups, uh, small groups throughout the week, and we'll look forward to sharing more. Um, and I can share in more detail in those environments than I can on a live stream about where I'm working. Uh, but I've been there for the last 12 years working at the hospital for women and children uh, that's located there. It's a 150 bed hospital uh, that serves serves Uh, women and children in one of the poorest countries of the world, uh, in one of the areas where women and children have been most neglected in terms of health. And this was an expression of the local church and of the mission uh, and our desire to make an impact for the kingdom in that country. Uh, It's a Muslim context, uh, 95% Muslim. uh, And I've had the joy over the last six years of joining with some of our national church planting pastors to plant churches in an unreached area. And again, I hope. to cover more of that and also tell you the reasons why we had to leave uh, in our connection groups and our small groups. Uh, But today I want to focus in on the mission theme for this year, which is all of Jesus for all of the world. And I really love this mission's theme uh, because I think it expresses the heart of what the CMA is, the heart of our mission, which is this deeper life. This idea of all of Jesus, of experiencing all that it means to be in relationship with Jesus, that deeper life. And then that deeper life being expressed in mission This idea of taking Jesus to all the world, uh, whether that's around the globe or whether it's right here in Redding, California. This idea of deeper life and mission are at the very heart of what the CMA stands for. And so this theme really captures our heart. There's a quote by one of my favorite missiologists, Leslie Newbegin, and he says this, The deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. That's the motivation for mission, is to be with Jesus. So the two are not distinct. They are connected. This deeper life, this living with Jesus and wanting to be where he is, takes us out into our communities and into the world. I want to make one distinction for you that you may find helpful. You may disagree with me, but I'll make it anyways. I make a distinction between living on mission and missions. And this is how I define that. Living on mission is something we're all called to do in our daily lives. No matter where we are, no matter what our job, no matter what our occupation is, we are called to live on mission. To live purposefully in such a way that we beg the question from people, why are you different? and that question can only be answered with the gospel. So living on mission is this idea of intentionally living in such a way that we raise questions. Missions is this idea that we cross boundaries to make Jesus known. Maybe it's a geographical boundary, maybe it's a language boundary, maybe it's a cultural boundary, but we cross that boundary so we can make Christ known. We're all called to live on mission every day of our lives. And we're all called to be involved in missions, but sometimes in different ways. Some of us are called to go. Some of us are called to send, to pray, to give. Today, as we talk about all of Jesus for all the world, I want to keep both of those things in mind. I want to keep in mind people like me that are going. And I want to keep in mind the work that the CMA is doing around the world. But I also want to keep in mind your daily lives. How do you live out all of Jesus for all the world on an everyday basis? This theme is also corrective. So a speaker like me, well-intentioned, comes in, he's energetic, he wants you to do more for missions and wants you to live on mission better. And I can come in and I can actually guilt you and shame you into doing more. But what happens when you, when, when, when I do something like that is you live out mission from a real false place, from a false source, and you'll burn out. But if you're living out mission from that deep and abiding and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you will be fueled, you'll be sustained, you'll be passionate. And so I want to make sure that we start off on the right foot here. We are starting with all of Jesus, this intimate relationship with him that pushes us out into mission. Now, it is pretty cliche for people like myself, to come and preach from Matthew 28. Um, You all know it. It's the Great Commission, and I'm here to be cliche today. We're going to look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, Let's read it together. And there's going to be a word that you'll see that repeats. It's a word I've already said quite a bit. But let's read together. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them, Oops, sorry, got to turn the page to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then just came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a foundational text for what it means to live both on mission and to engage in missions. Uh, That's why we keep coming back to it. And this year we're, we're highlighting four places in the Great Commission that help us live that out well. And you'll notice that the word all repeats itself. So we hear Jesus saying that he has all authority He tells us to go to all nations or all people groups. And he tells them to to teach everything that I have commanded you or all that I have commanded you. And then he reminds us that he'll be with us always. If we walk through these four alls in this passage, it gives us an idea of how to live out mission well. How to live on mission and both how to carry out missions well. So let's look at what it means that Jesus has all authority. Jesus has all authority, which means that he is capable of working miracles. It means that he has all spiritual authority, so no spiritual warfare can prevail. When we work for a God and go on mission for a God that has all authority, it means that our mission is guaranteed success. We are guaranteed success because our Lord and Savior has all authority. But there's something else about this all authority that I wanna highlight today. And it's a part of all authority that sometimes drives me nuts. You see, I'm the kind of friend that likes to give advice, sometimes unsolicited. I think that in a relationship, if you've known me for a while, you ought to be willing to listen to my advice. And so I'm rather perplexed that Jesus doesn't always seem to be on that train. I like to give Jesus, you know, advice as we're doing mission together. And sometimes he just does not seem to necessarily listen to my my voice. But that's part of him having all authority. And I want to tell you the story of a friend of mine, Sally Mata. This is a patient um, that I've been taking care of the last couple years in the wound care clinic. Sally Mata was a young lady that had epilepsy. So she would have occasional seizures, didn't interrupt her life too bad. Uh, She normally got on with life pretty well. In West Africa, you know, most cooking is done over an open fire and it's done by by the women. And so Sally Mata one morning was preparing the fire and she was crouched down, getting it ready, and unfortunately had a seizure and fell in to the fire. Her clothes caught on fire. She was badly burned. She came into the hospital uh, for treatment. The thing we would normally do in such a case is to take healthy skin and put it over the burned skin. But she was so badly burned, there was just not enough healthy skin for her. We just couldn't get that covered. And so we had to let her heal slowly and with time. And it took enormous amount of time for her to to heal. In fact, she had been there a year. I was out doing other ministries and came back at the year mark that she had been there. And so I came back with a lot of energy and thought, you know, this poor gal has been here for a year, so let's, let's get her healed. Let's get her, let's get her healing. And so began to work with her and began to do her dressings and try to change some things up and learned more about her story. Not only had Salimata been burned and had she been living this year in pain, uh, but she had been rejected by her husband. Her husband, pretty early on in the hospitalization, saw that things were not going well, and he came and said, I'm going to divorce you because I can't afford to have a wife that's in the hospital like this. So he divorced her and left her. Her own family did not have the financial means to continue to support her, and so out of shame, they distanced themselves from her. She received only occasional visits from her mother. So Sally Manta, in addition to the physical pain, experienced incredible emotional pain from her family and the people that she was counting on to support her. Well, I had great ideas and I told Jesus as much. I thought, what a great redemption if you would just miraculously heal Sally Manta. I believe you can do it. You are a God with all authority, I believe you can heal Salimata, and yet day after day after day, nothing changed. She didn't seem even with our best medical interventions. She didn't seem to be getting better, and it was so frustrating. And it, as time began to wind down, and we were looking at needing to pull out of the country, the question became: What are we going to do with Salimata? And so we talked again with the surgeons. We got together and the surgeons decided, okay, they could attempt a surgery. And we thought, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be it. We're going to, we're going to do this. And so we, we got together, we did the surgery the first week, everything looked great. And I thought success. We did it. Like we did it. We got this second week. Things were, you know, a little bit, uh, not as ideal as we changed her dressings and looked at that graft that new skin. But we weren't too worried. We thought this is going to be okay. Third week, we get into it, and it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible, and and it looks like everything's failing. The end of the third week, it looks like a total failure, and the surgeon said as much. This is is a total failure. Nothing nothing took. This did not work. And we were heartbroken. And at the same time that we had done Sally Mata's surgery, we had done another surgery for, for another lady that had been burned, and they were actually sharing a room. That other lady had not followed the Lord, but Sally Mata had put her trust in Jesus. And one day I was changing her dressing and Sally Mata through tears said to me, I just do not understand why Jesus would allow Fat Mata to heal, but would not allow me to heal. And I was crushed and I had no response. I have learned one thing as a medical IW over these last 12 years. And it's this, that there is a difference between cure and healing. What we want, what I most often want is cure, the eradication of all the symptoms of all the disease. But Jesus is our healer, and he's going at something much, much deeper because healing involves the physical, but it also involves the emotional and the spiritual and the social. And so we cried out to God, Lord, what are you doing in the life of Sally Mata, and would you please heal her? The fourth week, we begin to work with her, and at the end of the fourth week, there are three little spots on her wound that look like new healthy skin has pushed through, but they're tiny, but we'll take anything we can get. Fifth week, things start to multiply, and it's getting... Rapidly healed. Rapidly healed. And this is miraculous. This is truly miraculous. The Lord is doing something. And he brings healing to Salimata all but a small area like this. And we are so overjoyed because the Lord has worked in Salimata's life. But we're wondering, why, Lord? Why this small area? Why stop halfway Sally Mata had been in so much pain that even though she was a believer, she really couldn't attend any prayer services or worship services. But as she began to heal, she began to walk all over the hospital and began to attend worship services with other patients, began to frequent our chaplain. Uh, At this point, we were already here in the United States. Our whole team had pulled out. Um, But we were receiving reports that she was just a different person, so incredibly joyful, so incredibly happy to be uh, with other believers. And learning the Bible. See, the Lord brought Salimata to a place where she had been rejected by everyone. And He brought her to the place of asking, Lord, are you too going to reject me? And in that moment, He responded with healing. But not only that, not only did he heal that emotional layer of rejection and bring physical healing as well, he began to heal her socially, began to bring her into the body of Christ and began to heal her spirit as well. And I'm happy to report that as of today, Sally Mata is home completely healed. This is what it means to serve a God with all authority. It can be maddening because to our human eyes, we want things to go from A to B to C. But the Lord takes a different path because he knows the heart of every individual and he knows what it takes to bring true healing in their lives. Let's talk about the second all, all nations. God has this beautiful heart for all peoples, all peoples, for all of his creation and he does not want to deny anyone the opportunity to hear the gospel. So he tells us to go to all nations but this is admittedly a huge task. It is not a task that one individual or one couple or one family can do alone. It is not even a task that one church can accomplish alone. It is not even a task that one denomination can, atta- can do alone. But there is incredible beauty when we work together to accomplish this task. And I want to tell you the story about a people group that I had the joy of working with, the Cenopho people group. And I wanna tell you about a man named Ralph. The Senafu people were one of the very first people the Alliance ever engaged in West Africa. In 1923, they sent two couples to work among the Senafu. They worked there for four years with hardly any fruit. And at the end of those four years, a yellow fever epidemic came in and killed three of the four adults. The remaining husband gathered the children from both families and returned to the United States. Their grave markers are still there in West Africa. Another couple was sent that worked for 10 years among the Senefu, and at the end of those 10 years, there were barely 100 believers among that, that people group. They continued to be resistant to the gospel for generation after generation. Ralph was an IW among the Senafu and worked among them for 40 years. You still hear stories about Ralph and how well he spoke the Senefu language. They will talk about this white guy that mastered their language. But they continued to be resistant to the gospel. Ralph retired before I ever joined the field, but some of my colleagues visited him in his retirement home in 2015. And as they walked through the door, Ralph greeted them in the Senefu language And they had a great time sharing. And he told them that I pray for the Senefu people every day. They returned to the field and shared that with me. And a couple weeks later, it happened that I was with some national pastors in a Senefu village. And they showed the Jesus film and they gave an altar call. And over 100 people responded to that altar call. Ralph unfortunately passed away a couple weeks after that, and I never had the chance to tell him that his prayers had been responded to. But I am sure that he has a front row seat to all that God is orchestrating among the Senefu people as he brings numerous Senefu to himself. Our world is in desperate need of people like Ralph. Ralph who will commit to pray for the people groups that do not know him. And as I said, this is an incredible task. You may have seen this slide before, but there are more than 4,000 people groups that have little to no opportunity to hear the gospel. We can look at it on a map. You may have seen this map from the Alliance as well before. You see green countries like the United States. Green countries are places that have lots of access, high access to the gospel. And what this means is if I woke up one day and decided I needed someone to tell me about Jesus, I could go out in my neighborhood and knock on doors until someone would share the gospel with me. And in places like America, I would need to knock on three or five doors before I could find someone. In other areas that are green countries, high access countries, I might need to knock on 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 doors, but I would find someone in short order who could share the gospel with me. Low access countries, those yellow countries, I might need to knock on 1,000 doors or 5,000 doors or maybe even 10,000 doors before I could find someone to share the gospel with me. But those red countries that have little to no access, we're talking hundreds of thousands of doors if not millions of doors. The joy of working with the Alliance is that the Alliance has 80% of our IWs in that area, in those areas targeting those red countries where people groups do not yet have access to the gospel. This is what your faithful giving, and thank you for your faithful giving to the Great Commission Fund. This is what that accomplishes. It goes to reaching all people's And together, as a denomination, we contribute to the effort to reaching all people groups. Let's talk about the third, all. And it's all that I have commanded you. This is Jesus' command that everything we need to remain rooted in his great love and gifted in his sacred mission be taught not only to ourselves, but to the next generation. And in so doing, we see people redeemed spiritually, but we see people living out the whole gospel. We see disciples who live out a whole gospel. They interface with the poor. They take care of the needy, the widow, the orphan. This is what the Lord has called us to. This is what it means to live out the whole gospel, to do all that he has commanded us. I want to tell you the story of a young man named Amadou. I met Amadou in 2015. I was again working with our national church planting pastors, and we were headed to this village that was incredibly resistant to the gospel. The Lord had set up a unique opportunity for us to go. We showed the Jesus film, and there was very little response. We we saw in the crowd some young people that were ready to stand up at the invitation. But we also saw along the crowd's edge some elders of the village who were ensuring that no one dare stand up. And we went back to this village a number of times in different ways. We took a vet team in and vaccinated their cattle. And we, we did a number of things in this village to try to make inroads for the gospel. And nothing we did seemed to work. One of the trips there, uh, I met Amadou. And Amadou was this young man very frail looking and he was seated on this little stool and didn't have the strength in his arms or legs to to really lift himself or to stand he could just barely lift himself and move his stool and he would scoot around his outdoor courtyard all day long uh, like that and you can imagine the difficulty of a life Led in that way. And my heart went out to Amadou, and I said, We've got to bring him back to the hospital. We've got to figure out if there's something we can do for him. We did so. I, I, I put him in touch with our, our doctors because I'm the least intelligent one of our group. And they, they all tried to put their minds together and, and came up with a plan of things we could try to treat. And so we began to try. It didn't really make much of a difference. We sent a muscle biopsy to the United States and learned that Amadou had muscular dystrophy. And as you probably know, muscular dystrophy is a disease that has no successful treatment, even here in the United States. And again, my heart was crushed, because see, you'll find this shocking, I had advised the Lord yet again. (laughs) I had told him that reaching this village would be very easy if this once crippled boy would ride back with me in my land cruiser and get out of the car and walk through town. I thought that was a brilliant plan. I'm not sure what Jesus didn't like about it. (laughs) But weeks turned into months, and we weren't making any progress with Amadou, and there wasn't evident physical healing coming. And the question became, what are we going to do with Amadou? The pastors that knew him that had kind of led him to the Lord said, we can't send him back. That village is so hostile to the gospel, he will lose his faith. And he was quite happy living there in the, in the hospital. We have guest rooms for people just like Amadou who live far away, don't need to be hospitalized, but need to be on the hospital ground. So he was in a room there and he was quite happy. He was learning to use his wheelchair. So we agreed that he could stay. Amadou had fallen ill when he was in elementary school, so he'd never really learned to read. So one of my colleagues began to work with him, learning to read his own language. And he showed himself to be an apt student. He learned to read really quickly. And it was not uncommon to be on the hospital grounds and for Amadou to call you over and read you a couple verses in the Bible that he'd been studying and ask you to discuss those passages with him. He became a very serious student of the word. And as his hunger for the word grew, so did his life of ministry. Amaru decided that somebody needed to be hosting a prayer meeting every evening for all the patients there at the hospital. And of his own initiative, he began to host a prayer meeting for anyone who wanted to come every night there at the hospital. It was not uncommon for Amadou to wheel his wheelchair into the room of another patient that was discouraged, especially young men that were newly bound to wheelchairs. Amadou became a great source of encouragement and joy and led several of these young men to the Lord. He'd wheel into their room and talk to them about the difficulties of being a young man in a wheelchair. He'd talk to them about the hope he had found in Christ, and he developed this ministry, we called him our third chaplain. As we began to look at pulling out and leaving the country, the question became, what do we do again with Amadou? And as we discussed together, we realized a young man can't live at a hospital forever. And his faith journey had made him resistant and resilient. And so we believed it was time for him to return to his village. We, we helped his family construct a handicap accessible home there and began the preparation of, of sending him home. As you can imagine, there was some reticence in his heart about what this would look like. Not only was his village hostile to the gospel, but it had become the epicenter of jihadist groups in our area And the idea of sending someone like Amadou back into that was intimidating. We had asked his younger brother, Adama, the guy in white there, to come up to the hospital and learn the physical therapy regime we were doing with with Amadou. I had never met Amadou. He'd been working in Ivory Coast uh, in the cocoa fields there for many years. And so we had never met, but he'd recently returned, so we asked him to come up. and. I got to thinking, my good ideas again, that it would be really great if Adama accepted the Lord, and that Adama and Amadou, these two brothers, could be spiritual brothers and return home to the village together. Adama arrived on a Saturday. I wasn't at the hospital, but I thought, well, first thing Monday morning, I'm going to work to have a conversation with this young man and see how open he is to the gospel, I arrived on Monday morning and was visiting some other patients, and one of them said, Oh, you heard that Adama came to know the Lord this weekend. I said, No, I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, how did that happen? And she said, Well, you'll have to ask him. So I met Adama for the first time and quickly got down to business and said, I heard you've come to know the Lord. How did that happen? And he said, Do you remember in 2015 you came down and showed the Jesus film? I was one of the young men in that audience. And ever since seeing what Jesus did for us on the cross, I've always been fascinated. And so when I arrived at the hospital and knew that this was a safe place to ask questions, I sought out one of the chaplains and gave my life to the Lord. Today, Adama and Amadu have returned to their village and they have started a church where people like me could not go. God chose to use this seemingly weak vessel to start the church. When we teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded us, when we teach them to be students of the word and to develop their own ministry and to live on mission, we see the church multiply. That is the joy of of Jesus' command. This is how the Alliance does this worldwide. We, We divide this into three categories. Serving communities in practical ways, meeting the needs that are before us, We serve those communities. But we wanna see the church multiply because we believe that the church is what carries on the work of the Lord. And so we put all our effort into seeing churches grow and become networks that multiply. We like to see people like Amadou participate in those church networks. And because of that, we wanna develop people. We wanna raise up leaders in these contexts that can carry the work of the Lord forward. But Jesus ends with this promise that he will be always with us. His spirit's abiding power and presence is with us 24-7. He does not leave us nor forsake us, right? He's with us at all times. I mentioned to you that we've had to pull out of our country of service there in May of 2021, The jihadist groups had gotten incredibly close. And for the last five years, we had been living under incredible security threat. One of our friends had been kidnapped. Uh, Our ministries had appeared in a propaganda video and things were incredibly stressful. Every night we tucked into bed behind steel doors to ensure that none of us would be taken at night. And the weight of all of that was incredibly difficult. But possibly more difficult was leaving. Leaving people that I had loved and served for 12 years, people that I counted as friends and family. And my heart ached as we left, as did the heart of all my teammates. We came back to the States somewhat unexpectedly, most of us not ready to recalculate and figure out what it meant to be living here for an extended period of time, not sure what the Lord was calling us to next. In June, our team had a chance to get together and process some of these things in a room with a professional counselor, which was very helpful and very, very good. But as I listened to my teammates process out loud, What I heard over and over again was this sense of Jesus' presence, palpable presence with them. I heard stories of his surprising provision, of ways he just showed up and provided everything that our families needed. And I heard this talk of peace. that, That even though things had been incredibly difficult, there was this real peace that came from Jesus. See, living on mission... And engaging in missions means we go headlong into conflict with the enemy. And it means that there are undoubtedly moments that will be difficult. But it is Jesus' presence with us that when we live on mission with him, he guarantees that we will have his provision, we will have his peace, and we will have his presence. This is what makes mission possible. This is what keeps us going. It is that promise that we have. I wanna close today with this. What is Christ's invitation to you? I don't believe that God guilts us or shames us to live on mission. I don't believe that he forces us into things. I believe he is always beckoning, always inviting. So what is his invitation to you today? Is he calling you into that deeper life? More of all of Jesus? When you hear about that deeper life, that experience of knowing Christ intimately, does your heart long for that? Is it in trusting his authority? Maybe there are things in your life that you have been telling Jesus, look, this is the way it needs to happen, and he does not seem to be listening. Do you need to trust his authority today that he really does know your situation? your pain, and that he is capable of bringing healing? Does he call you or invite you today into giving or to praying, like being a person like Ralph, praying faithfully for people? I'm going to share with you in connection groups what I'm up to next, and I'm going to be working with a people group called the Fulani that are very unreached. And if the Lord's laid that on your heart, I would invite you to to adopt the Fulani as a people group that you pray for regularly, that the Lord would make inroads, that he would open doors among that people group. Maybe he's calling you into living out the whole gospel and making disciples who do the same here in Reading or around the world. Maybe he's calling you into full-time service. And if he is, we would love to talk to you after the service. Whatever his, his invitation is to you today, would you just reflect on that as I close in prayer? And would you make in your heart a vow to respond to that invitation? Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, so much for this church, this church that is hospitable, this church that is missions-minded. Uh, Lord, thank you for each and every one here today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would bless this church. I pray that you would empower this church. Lord, I pray that you would lay on our heart the invitation you are extending to each one of us. Lord, I pray that we would respond to that in intimate relationship with you, in joyful relationship with you, knowing that you will always be with us as we live out mission on a day-to-day basis. Father, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit? Would you strengthen us and give us wisdom? Lord, again, thank you for this church, and we thank you for today. Uh, Receive our praise as we close the service today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Church, will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Yes, Lord, um, deepen our love. And that love starts with first understanding how much you love us. And So, Lord, continue to draw us into that greater intimacy with you. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to become more aware every day of who you are, what you're doing around us, to more aware of your truth, more aware of your goodness, more aware of your voice, more aware of your work. But we want to join you in that work, whether it be here or whether it be there, whether it be anywhere. Lord, thank you for having a heart for not just us, but again, the world. Thank you for the opportunity that we have this week to reflect again and to hear again of what you're doing and again spur us spur our hearts to know and to love you and to share you with the world ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 and following blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places Church, just to let you know, uh, Larry Schaller had surgery on Monday. Many of you know, uh, maybe have gotten a report on that, uh, but he's still striving to recover from that. Let's continue to pray for him and Donna, who's recovering from her own leg uh, concern that she has, Uh, but be praying for Larry and Donna this week. Uh, We will try to let you know as we hear more uh, this week, but uh, yeah, just, you know, we love Larry and Donna and uh, he had back surgery on Monday and anyway, still in a lot of pain and trying to get through that and get things figured out, so anyway, let's pray for them. Uh, take some time to get to know Jake. If, uh, you know, either through one of the small groups this week or even this morning, if you can't make one of the small groups, we have the schedule that's been out. Make sure you take a look at that and see if you can join one of those small groups. Also, if you feel like the Lord's been speaking to you this morning, or maybe you just need prayer for your own healing this morning, please come forward. We've got uh, some uh, folks up front that would love to pray with you. So please don't uh, hesitate to do that. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks, Jake.